something I think that most addicts deal with is survivor's guilt. Now, and that could go back very far, or it could be more recent. What I mean by that is, when I was 17 years old, I played in a band, and me and my bandmates, we were on a on a, in a car in a car on our way to uh, band practice, and I was driving. It was a freak accident. I wasn't in, impaired. I didn't. I wasn't using anything. There was a freak accident. One of the uh, band members passed away. But it goes a little bit further than that, in that it was a very close family friend. Our families had been friends for a very long time. We literally grew up together from birth. And I've carried that with me. And I've always, you know, it's always affected me. But I didn't really realize until recently what I was dealing with was called or labeled. It's survivor's guilt. I, I realized that I felt guilty because I survived and my best friend did not. I was very angry about it, but my anger was more, you know, at the situation and at the creator. I'm going to refer to him as God in this context. But how it relates to a lot of addicts, and this is kind of when I realized that, dang, maybe I've been carrying that. And also, then I realized even further that maybe that's why some addicts have became addicts. But, you know, I mean, we've all got our reasons. You know, we've all got that one event or series of events, I assume, that kind of triggered it. A lot of the guys I was in, I've been in rehab with didn't make it. You know, we got out of rehab and a lot of people relapsed. And that's a very dangerous time, you know. And I've carried a lot of survivor's guilt over that because, you know, these are guys that I was in long-term facility with, got to know them very well. They were great guys. They all had bright futures. I mean, you know, they're very smart people, most of them. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. And I got very angry about that. You know, I used to ask the question, how many of us have to die? Is there a number? What Just how many of us have to before the rest of us get it? Before there's some kind of climax to the story? Before finally there's a breaking point? And then I kind of went into more of a why did they die and I didn't? I mean, besides the obvious that I, well, I did relapse after that. But, you know, besides the obvious that they relapsed and, and it didn't and they passed away. I understand that everyone has a purpose. I have a purpose. You have a purpose. But literally everyone has a purpose. So then I think, what was this person's purpose? Maybe they could save more lives by being an example of what not to do. I don't know. These are questions that I just ask. Most people were very young when they started using. I was a late bloomer. I had a bad relationship that went very terribly bad, and I think that's what triggered me to using. I was approximately 32. But before that, you know, I did party here and there. I was never real big on partying. It was mostly drinking, um, maybe a couple of drugs here and there, Not nothing, definitely nothing serious. But then um, I was in a relationship, and it went terribly bad, and I guess I found refuge in heroin. Anyway... But addicts generally are good people. Being an addict 
doesn't make you bad. No worse than any other, anyway. So back to my friend who passed away when I was 17. Okay. A few years, several years after that, I met up with a friend who was also friends with him. And we went to Denny's, and we were eating. And, you know, it was mostly just a typical catching up with each other. We went to high school together. You know, how are things going? Blah, blah, blah. And then she just threw a hand grenade at me. She said, so, are you still mad at God? And I literally just went from light conversation with an old friend to a crying, sobbing mess right there in the booth at a Denny's in less than a second. That question just hit me so hard. And I answered the question, I don't know, because I didn't know. I hadn't thought about it. It It's something that I'd kind of buried, kind of suppressed. So the question that I would have for you is, are you mad at the Creator or God? Were you with someone when they overdosed or right before? Should you have stayed with them? You know, are those questions that just kind of burn into your soul whenever you realize, dang, I was just with that guy an hour before. I really wish I'd stayed. Or even worse, whenever we say, I knew something was off. You know, I knew something wasn't right. I really wish I had stayed. But we can't really look at things that way, can we? Hindsight's twenty twenty. We can't condemn ourselves for what we should have done. We always know what we should have done after the fact. That's easy. So, I tend to think that survivor's guilt is a huge issue for addicts, especially whenever they get sober. Because they've got a lot of friends, a lot of people that they knew, that maybe they were in rehab with, or maybe just people that they were friends with and used drugs with. You know, you got to cut those ties and you got to move on. You've got to guard your sobriety. So you move on. And then later you find out so-and-so passed away. So-and-so passed away. You know, I'm 48 years old right now. And my parents are in their 70s. And I've lost way more friends than they have. Now, granted, a lot of their friends are starting to pass away from old age and things. But I've already, at this point, lost way more friends than they have. And that's not right. That's not how things are supposed to be. You know how many parents are burying their children? That's just not the natural order of things. We're not supposed to bury our children. But it does happen from time to time. But these days, it's happening a lot. So then we might get caught up in, well, I used for so long. I did this for so long. I did a lot of really bad things. Then I should not have survived. You know, what makes me special? Why am I here? And that's where survivor's guilt can set in. And I didn't even realize that I'd been kind of carrying that until really, I, I call it my higher self, call it my intuition, call it whatever you want. I was taking a shower one night, and this is when things usually come to me. I was taking a shower one night, and I was thinking about this memoir that I've been writing about my my time in active addiction. And I thought about it, you know, gosh, do I even want to finish it? You know, and what? And if I do, what am I going to do after that? Because that's my story and, and just, wow, there it's all out there. Now what? And it hit me. Something spoke to me. I don't know what. It's not important. But something literally spoke almost telepathically in my head and said, you have to finish it because you've got to write about survivor's guilt. 
And I was floored. I'm like, where in the hell did that come from? Survivor's guilt. So that got me to thinking, wow, I really do. I am pretty experienced in that. I just didn't realize it. And then I think, well, most addicts probably do suffer from survivor's guilt. Now that you're sober and someone that you knew passed away and maybe you go to their funeral service and you see their parents and you may even feel a little bit guilty because maybe you knew their parents, maybe they know who you are, maybe, you know, whatever. But you just think, gosh, do I deserve to be here? Do I deserve to be on this end of it? Because it could very easily could have been me, but it wasn't. And that's where we need to find our purpose. That's when we need to realize I am here for a reason. And I can honor this person's memory. I can honor this person's life by doing what? Well, by living a, an awesome life. Go out here and be a poster child for sobriety. Be a poster child for everything, that all the bad things that you did to now and doing all these great things. We can also maybe save more than we lose. You know, you can honor the people who didn't make it by saving some who are still here. You know, in 2021, 70,000 people, I think that was the number, 70,000 people passed away from overdose. That's a lot. That's an insane amount of people. And most of them were young people. So we can save more than we lose. We can honor those that didn't make it by showing how good it can be. We can inspire people who are still in active addiction. Inspire them to be, to, to get sober and to realize this isn't what life's about. I can go and have a fantastic life. I've got purpose and now I have a story and now I have experience. So now I can get sober and go help other people who need this message that I just got. So anyway, moving on one way I remind myself why I love being sober is to remember how bad it was in active addiction. It's kind of like when you're in a relationship that went really well for a time, but then went bad and a breakup happened. And then later on, the fond memories come back or whatever. You may remember the good times and maybe even possibly start to miss that person. You maybe even think about getting back together. And I learned a long time ago to always remember why you broke up. Same thing goes for your drug of choice. It's easy to say, yeah, getting high would be great. But stop. Remember why you quit and got sober in the first place. Remember how it ended. It didn't end well, did it? Always go back to the how, why, when, and where. Because if you've never had to detox in jail, whew, <laughs> you don't want to go. You don't want to go there. So sometimes it's good to look back and remember exactly why or how things were right there at the end. You probably looked like hell. You were probably, you know, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's story is very unique. But anyway, when you think about those things, it doesn't sound so good anymore, huh? Those feelings of dread and foreboding, those really got me. That, just that dreadful feeling, just that it was just, ugh. And with that, kind of segueing here, I'd mentioned that I had been writing a memoir. I haven't really been doing a whole lot with it lately. 
but I've got a, I've got a little excerpt, I guess, to, that I want to read. My dealer lived about an hour away, and he was out of town until the next morning. And while I could have possibly found some something else, I had just enough cash to get a room and an extended stay for a night, then re-up with my dude. The only real choice was to ride it out the rest of the day and night, and then get good with him the next day. My last dose at that point was sometime the night before. So by the time I'd have some dope, it would be around 36 hours, which is about three times longer than you ever want to go. So that night I was very nauseous. And you know, once you start throwing up, it's very hard to stop. I don't only mean from being sick to your stomach. That's a given. But also from that thick, snotty feeling in the back of your throat that gags you. Also, it is a very delicate balance to keep the sneezing fits at bay. I managed to get somewhat comfortable on the bed, except for the occasional dry heaving over the side onto the floor, that little one to two foot gap between the bed and the wall in a hotel. And I decided to watch a movie. The movie that was on was Melancholia. It is a very dark and unsettling movie. My own feelings of dread, anxiety, and hopelessness were amplified by the whole vibe of this movie. I'm certain from the title that the writers and producers were going for this feeling. It was a perfect storm. My own feelings blended with the vibe of melancholia and ended up being one of the most memorable withdrawals of my addiction. I recently told someone about this particular night. We talked about how most days are just like the rest, but occasionally one might stand out from the others for whatever reason. She said, wow, yeah, Melancholia is a very dark movie to watch, even on a good day. I can't imagine watching that in that state of mind. Maybe it was like looking at a train wreck. You know, you shouldn't look, but you can't take your eyes off of it. Or maybe I was trying to add insult to injury and see just how dark, depressed, and full of dread I could get. Who knows? Those feelings, though, the feelings of dread are very real and very possibly are what I'm most happy to never have to deal with again. Dread is the exact polar opposite of the best feelings you've ever had. It's that feeling of something big, heavy, hard, and dense, like a huge concrete block in your stomach. That tightness in your chest feeling. The anxious, can't-sit-still feeling. It's a foreboding, the inevitable and perpetual feeling of just bad. It's like a feeling of certain doom, but then again, it's worse because a certainty of mere death sounds a lot better than the barrel of the gun you're looking down. Dread and foreboding... Is a feeling I'd never wish on anyone. Life and creation are beautiful. And true feelings of dread, I believe, are reserved for the evil in the universe, if for anyone at all. I'm not talking about that bad feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when it becomes apparent that something is about to happen. That is your instinct. That can be a good thing. So, story goes on. You know, in the morning we got up and was completely dope sick and I had to drive that hour and 15, 20 minutes or whatever it is. Grocery shopping bags in the car to throw up in. Things like that sometimes remind you, you don't want to go back to that. But I can also say that, you know, at this point in my life and my sobriety, I've got so many good things going for me. I've got an amazing girlfriend. I have an amazing relationship with my family. Work is work. I have this podcast. Things are just going very well. And I would not do anything to mess this up. 
However, I've did had those experiences in my life and I can share those with people. And a lot of people who are in active addiction, they can they, they know those feelings all too well. That dread and that foreboding. And I can honestly look someone and say, look, that doesn't last. That goes away. You know, you can beat it, but you've got to want to beat it. Because, like I've said before, you've got to want sobriety more than addiction wants you. And that is a lot. Because once addiction gets a hold of you, you know this. Once addiction gets a hold of you, it's not going to, it doesn't want to let go. And it will do everything it possibly can to hold on to you. So you have to want to get away from it more than it wants to hold on to you. And you have to be confident and know that once I get past this, I can have an amazing life. I can start at zero and go up. Because from zero, there's nowhere to go but up. And that's the beauty of it. You can go out and you can do anything you want to do. Because for one, you're free. It's kind of like when you are in active addiction, you can't even go on a vacation. Even if it's like your whole family is going on a big vacation. And they're like, hey, you, all you got to do is jump in a, you know, pack a bag, jump in a car and go. You can't. Because you can't leave unless you've got a ton of money and you can buy enough drugs to last you the week or however long you're going to be gone. But most addicts can't do it. They can't because they've got to stay close by. They've got to stay on their hustle. They've got to stay close to the dope man. So they can't go 500 miles away to the beach or whatever and enjoy a family vacation. But once you get free, you absolutely can. You can and, you, and, and there's no reservations. You just do it because you're free. And that's a, it's an amazing feeling, isn't it? To know I can do anything I want. I'm free. Screw drugs. I don't need you. And like I've said many times, when you're starting at zero and you've got nowhere to go but up, what's the old saying? Shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll still land amongst the stars. We can dream big. Because even if you, if you dream big and you get halfway there, that's still pretty good, isn't it? Suspend judgment. Suspend disbelief for 10 minutes get out a notebook and just start writing your wildest imagination i said this in the uh, last episode about the firefighting astronaut mermaids that was being funny but i just meant you know let your 10 year old self just go nuts and write it all down don't criticize yourself don't sit there and say yeah you can't do that yeah, that's probably not going to happen. That's not what's important. What's important is that you're figuring out what really floats your boat. My counselor mentioned podcasting to me. I have been writing a lot, and he told me, you know, you really should look into podcasting. And I mean, I've always listened to podcasts, but to be a podcaster, I never really thought about it. It's not something I was opposed to. I just never, it's just never really thought about how I was writing. So I did look into it and I fell in love with the idea immediately. I thought, wow, that is really, that's what I've been looking for. That's the outlet that I've been looking for. So I fell in love with it and I'm taking off with it. You may want to be an artist. I don't know what you want to do. It doesn't matter. Get your journal out. Go nuts for 10 minutes. I don't care what it is. Just write it down. Do it every single day. 10 minutes. 
Like I said before, you sat in a freaking parking lot for hours waiting for your dope man to show up. Hours. I think you can give yourself 10 minutes to do this. And then maybe another 10 or 15 minutes for meditation. Just focus on your breathing. That's all. The rest will come. The rest will come. If you just get started, you're going to have a great life. Everybody's going to have a great life. Mine keeps getting better and better. And I can tell you, I don't know how. All I know is that I'm focusing on the end. I'm focusing on how I want things to look in the end. And it's coming together. And I really couldn't tell you exactly how. And that's not what's important. What's important is that I'm getting there. One other thing that I'm kind of in favor of as far as like the whole journaling bit goes is write your story. Write your future self story. I'm clean and sober. I live in this place. I have an amazing life. This is what I do for work. This is what I do. This is the, these are the things I do for recreation. I love life. And this is why I love life because this and this and this is going on. And use it in present tense. The things that I've done just in the past few months, it's kind of blowing my mind because it's things that I wouldn't have done. I, you know, I just wouldn't have if I didn't just surrender it and just say, okay, here's how I want things to look. And there it is. So, and then just, obviously you can't just do nothing, but you know, make the steps when you get those urges to do something such as buying lawn care equipment, if that's what you want to do or painting equipment. If you would rather paint houses or enroll in school, you know, you might think, Oh, I'd really like to have my nursing degree. Well, you're not going to get it if you don't sign up for school. Yeah, well, I don't know how that's going to work out. Don't worry about that part. Enroll in school. Start doing going to classes. Just watch things fall in line. It's going to be great. So anyway, that's what I got. Survivor's guilt is very real. It's something I think we all have to deal with because we've known so many people who have passed on and sometimes we might think, gosh, why did I deserve to be here? I don't know. It doesn't matter. What does matter is you are here and you do have a purpose and you do have a voice and you do have a way to make things better, not only for yourself, but for your family and everybody around you. So this is Matt Stevens. This is My Sober Addiction. Thank you for listening and I love you all. Distance in the 